I'm Dr. Sterling. I'm a board-certified OBGYN and mom. Welcome to the Becoming Moms podcast, where I give you the step-by-step to optimizing your physical and emotional wellness in pregnancy so you can create a nourishing environment for your baby, your family, and yourself. The information shared in this podcast is intended for general education purposes only and is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or another qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard in this podcast. All right, lovelies, let's dive in to this week's episode. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here in this live. I am going to be telling my birth story, my last birth story, and I will certainly um, give some context. So talk a little bit about my prior two births, just so you can understand um, what this birth meant to me and the really, really important lesson that I learned from this birth. I have learned lessons from each of my three births, really important ones. And I choose to believe because it functions for me and it helps me that my births um, have helped me, that those experiences have helped me be the person that I'm meant to be and be the parent that I'm meant to be. So I'm really excited to, to share these lessons, these revelations with you today. Um, In addition, at the end, I'm going to be telling you three tips or three really must-dos in terms of preparing for your birth. Uh, For those of you who are new to me, I'm Dr. Sterling. I'm a board-certified OBGYN. I am a mom of three. I've had three difficult pregnancies and three very different birth experiences. So just to give you some context, my first birth was an unmedicated birth um, in a birth center at the UCSD birth center. And um, I got everything I wanted with that birth. It was, if you watched a video of that birth, you would say that I want that, that looks great. There was spa music playing, there were flicker LED lights, there was, I, I labored in a tub, but it was actually a very traumatizing experience for me. So when I went into my second birth, I knew that I wanted an epidural that time and I had really released a lot of, I, I didn't I didn't have a clear picture of what I wanted it to look like. Um, I had some things that were really important to me and we're going to talk about that, about getting down to what's really important to you with your birth experience. Um, but I had released a lot of control, had an epidural and it was it was an incredible experience. It was a beautiful birth. My son was a surprise, 10 pounds. We were not expecting that. My daughter was eight. I thought that I was sure he was going to be eight pounds or smaller. And so that was, that's what my midwife thought as well. And when he came out, it was just like, I mean, he was huge. And we, my first words were chunky monkey. He was just so chub and it was wonderful. It was a wonderful experience. Um, so yeah, that was my second birth experience. So going into this third birth, I now knew that I had the capacity to give birth uh, to a 10 pound baby. And that was both um, reassuring because, okay, I can handle 10 pound baby. And also uh, a little terrifying because as I got into, you know, my third trimester, I realized, oh my goodness, this baby feels really big. 
And I had never felt that with Oliver. Even though he had turned out to be 10 pounds, I had never felt big. I had felt very manageable. I it just I didn't have a ton of pelvic or back pain. I had some, but with this baby, I was pretty miserable in my third trimester, I'm not gonna lie. It was a really, really hard pregnancy. So that had me thinking, it was a little bit of a, of a mind trip, right? Because it's like, okay, this baby feels really big to me. And I know the data. I know the data that says that moms who've given birth multiple times, people who've given birth multiple times, are actually slightly more accurate than ultrasound and a doctor or midwife estimating the fetal weight with their hands. So I'm thinking, if I feel that this baby is bigger, I'm probably right based on the data, but am I just tripping myself out because I know that I have the potential to make a big baby? Is that what's going on here? So anyway, it was, I decided to trust that I, uh, I felt that what I was feeling was real and that this was a bigger baby. And so that was part of the reason why I decided to have an induction of labor at 39 weeks. Now I'm not going to lie, the, the, I'm a Kaiser patient, they have a lot of protocols and I was advanced maternal age and I had, I was expecting to have a bigger baby and those aren't really, hard and fast indications for an induction of labor at 39 weeks. We'll talk a little bit more about the big baby issue. Advanced maternal age, some places, are, you know, offer it to everyone and encourage everyone to have an induction of labor at 39 weeks. I'll say more often than not, it's, it's something that may be discussed, but it's not really emphasized. It's an option. But at Kaiser, they really, they didn't want to induce me at 39 weeks. I really had to advocate. And even as an OBGYN, I had to advocate for myself. And I had to say, listen, I am telling you, this is a big kid. And it's interesting, when I shared on here that I was planning on an induction because my baby was on the bigger side and because I was over um, a 35, um, I did get a message from a childbirth educator saying that I was more or less saying that I was being irresponsible by talking about the fact that I wanted to have an induction for a big baby. And the reason why she disagreed with me sharing that um, is because the data doesn't necessarily support that inducing at 39 weeks is going to reduce the risk of complications from big babies. So she was actually right about the data. However, she was missing whether either, either she didn't know this piece of information or she wasn't didn't understand the context. She was missing the critical piece of information that I know, knew I can give birth to a 10 pound baby. So if I feel like this baby is bigger and I delivered like right at my due date with Oliver, if I feel like this baby is bigger, if I schedule an induction at 39 weeks, I think that I'm more likely to get a baby that's closer to 10 pounds than 11 or 12. And I don't know if I can handle an 11 or 12 pound baby. And I would like to have a vaginal birth if possible. I was totally okay with the C-section, but if possible. So that's the important context here because I know that, you know, childbirth educators are wonderful, doulas are wonderful, but it's about more than just the data. You have to look at the context. That's the art of medicine. That's the art of helping people give birth is understanding the full context. So I went for an induction. That's a long way to go to, to share that I went for an induction and I was, uh, I felt very secure in that decision. So I go in for my induction and um, it was, you know, it wasn't a, a long process. Um, my water broke before my contractions even got really painful, which was, um, which prompted me to get an epidural. And um, 
So the, the nice thing is that I, I got an epidural really before I felt a ton of pain, which was my first experience with that. I had a I experienced a lot of pain with my first birth. My second birth, um, I also, I broke my water before I went into labor, so it was a little bit of an induction there. I just got one dose of um, mesoprostol, also known as Cytotec, and then I was in full-blown labor and my contractions got really painful really fast. But with this birth experience, I my water broke and I was like, all right, sign me up for the epidural. We know that this can go fast. I'm a third, you know, this is my third baby, so let's get the epidural before this, this kicks into high gear. And, um, few hours pass after I get my epidural and um, I'm on Pitocin because they're inducing me. And I was, uh, they, they checked my cervix again. I was six centimeters and um, the, I was starting to contract more frequently. And the, the midwife who I hadn't met before, she walked in and I was like, yeah, I'm feeling a little bit more pressure. And she was like, okay, let's, let's check your cervix again. And I was like, they just checked it like maybe two minutes ago. And she's like, I don't know, you're contracting a lot and you're feeling pressure and you're, it's your third baby. So let's just check. And, um, um, she was, she was saying, okay, let's just check. And I was like, oh gosh, like I don't want, I didn't necessarily want to know the second I was, um, complete because I've never pushed a baby out when I didn't feel that urge to push. With Celeste, I felt the urge to push with Oliver. I felt the urge to push. And then I was, I, well, I checked myself y'all. <laughs> this time I didn't check myself, but I had checked myself with my other two and I had told the my you know nurses, hey, I'm complete and I'm ready to push. Um, anyway, I had, didn't check myself. She wanted to check me. So she checked me and she's like, all right, you're complete. Um, you're about zero station, which means baby was so just just coming into my pelvis. Wasn't, hadn't really moved down the birth canal. And so we started to push. Now my first two births, very different experiences, but they shared one thing in common. In both of those births, I had four contractions. I pushed with about four contractions and baby was out. Even with my 10 pound baby, y'all, four contractions, baby was out. So I'm thinking like, all right, like let's, <laughs> let's get this baby out. Um, and w another thing that I do, which I, I really recommend if you're comfortable with it, you know, not everybody is, but for me, I'm very comfortable with my body. So when I push, I put my hand in my vagina on the head. I kind of curl around my body, put my hand on so I can get some tactile feedback on how my pushing is doing, especially because I had an epidural in my last two births. You can't necessarily feel. So anyway, I, I put my hand um, in my vagina. I feel the head and I push and nothing. I felt no movement at all. And I had been thinking, and I hadn't said it out loud because I didn't want it to be true. I had been thinking that my baby Hudson was sunny side up, which means his the back of his head was facing the floor and he was looking up towards my belly, towards the ceiling. That is not the ideal position for a baby to be born in because it means that the largest diameter of their head is going through your birth canal. What you want is you want a baby that's facing the ground going through the birth canal because you want their chin to tuck and you want the smallest diameter of their head, which is back here, to be leading. So I thought that that might have been the case because one, I was feeling a lot of pain and um, contractions in my back. It's called back later labor and we do see it more often in babies who are sunny side up. And two, I was feeling a lot of kicks and hand movements on the front of my abdomen, 
which is to, you know, if you imagine a baby kind of laying on their back in your belly, they're kicking this way. And I was thinking, oh goodness, this is not, this, this isn't ideal, okay? Because it, it is, it can be harder to push them out. So I push with my first contraction and nothing. And I have never experienced that before. I've never pushed really hard and not felt the head move at least a little bit. Again, prior births, I pushed out both babies in about four contractions. So then the midwife says, yeah, actually, I was thinking that he, he feels that his, he's sunny side up too. She used the term occiput posterior, but the, you know, that's kind of hard to remember. So sunny side up. And so I thought, okay, all right. Um, well, there, there was, I had the midwife with me. There was a nurse who was training. She was a, an experienced nurse, but she was new to the Kaiser system. So she was in the room. And then there was another um, nurse in the room who was training her. So I had the three of them. And they were like, okay, let's do some spinning babies. Let's get you in all these different positions. And so I was getting into different positions and um, pushing and n no change, no change. And I started internally kind of freaking out on multiple different levels, I was freaking out. Number one, I was um, freaking out because I thought, okay, is this a, a freaking 12 pound baby? because I made a 10 pound baby, this one feels bigger, and I'm really struggling to push out this baby. And my prior 10 pounder was like easy to push out. I almost laughed him out, okay? So I'm internally kind of freaking out that um, this is a 12 pound baby and I I'm, not, I'm not going to be able to push him out. And if I do push him out, his shoulder is gonna st get stuck. It's a shoulder dystocia because this is, this is a freaking 12 pound baby. So that was the first level that I was freaking out. The second thing that kind of freaked me out, and I'm not gonna talk, I'm gonna talk about this very briefly because um, it's a whole other story. I have some personal trauma from being an OBGYN in a situation where, you know, baby was having a tough time coming out. So I was also kind of reliving some of that trauma, not as the person pushing baby, but as the, the, the person caring, like I was almost, felt like I was on the other side of the table too, which trauma's weird. So some, you know, it can, it can make you feel dissociated. And so that was freaking me out too. So there were those things. And um, I kept, because I was freaking out, I kept saying to the midwife, this isn't right. Something's not right. And, you know, they don't understand because they've never, they, they're not me. They haven't ever lived in my body. And going from ha having such an easy time giving birth and pushing out a baby to having it be so difficult was really terrifying for me. I was scared. I wasn't, honestly, y'all, I wasn't really scared about a C-section. I was really scared about um, just, is really about the vaginal birth. If, if, if the fact that if I actually made it and I actually pushed harder, that I was going to be pushing into a dangerous situation where he couldn't come out all the way. So, um, so yeah, um, I was really terrified and they, you know, everybody was being very encouraging, but that wasn't actually, that wasn't helpful to me because um, I wanted someone to see why I was freaking out, but I also couldn't really articulate it to them. So I don't, it's, I, I don't blame anybody in the room at all, at all. They were doing what they should have done. It was just, you know, the reality was, was that the encouragement, like you can do this, 
wasn't, was not jiving with the thoughts that I had in my head, which is like, this is something, there's something wrong here. So anyway, I think that eventually I, I push in a different position with every contraction they had me move into a different position for an hour with no progress. Okay. So I'm, I'm legit freaking out y'all. Um, so, um, basically I think that the, the midwife eventually kind of, you know, an hour of pushing with no movement and somebody who's got a predicted large baby who's previously pushed out babies in four contractions. I think eventually she, uh, you know, she got that I was kind of freaking out and she was like, okay, well, let me call in the OB. Um, oh, the other thing I wanted to say before we move on to the OB coming in is that while I'm pushing, um, I keep thinking I shouldn't have the, th my, the other thoughts going through my head is I shouldn't have pushed the epidural button that last time. I'm too numb. That's the problem. And I kept saying to myself and I kept saying to my husband, why can't I figure this out? Like, how did I forget to push? And I kept trying to figure out how to push again. I felt like I forgot how to push. And I, it was really like I was holding a lot of weight with that, like emotional weight. I was holding on to this, like, what am I doing wrong? And I was getting really frustrated. So I was dealing with some trauma. I was dealing with the worry of a big baby. And I was also just so frustrated. Like, why couldn't I do this? Why did I press the button that, that time? I was being, being really hard on myself. And so anyway, the, they call in the OB and she, she's like, okay, well, I don't think that we're ready for a C-section at this point. And I was like, okay, yeah, I guess you're right. And she's like, I think we can keep pushing. And, and the midwife says to the OBGYN, um, I think that the, the baby is OP. And she says to me, okay, well, we could try a manual rotation. Um, now, manual rotation is basically when we take our hand up into the vagina, into the birth canal, and we turn, we try to turn baby so the baby is looking down. And, um, you know, fortunately, the, one of the nice things about being an OBGYN is she's like, go, starts going over the wrists. And I'm like, stop. You don't need to go over all of that. I know that. Go. Do it. I was like, just go in there and you rotate that baby. Because my feeling was this baby is not coming out vaginally. And we need to, you know, we need to do everything we can. So I give her the go ahead. Um, so it says, ouch, the manual uh, rotation sounds painful. Fortunately, I had a great epidural. So it, I felt the pressure and the weirdness of it, the sensation, but it wasn't painful for me. So not that it can't be painful. I was lucky that my epidural was, was uh, good. So anyway, she goes in. She, I feel the... <laughs> Like she pushes him back up. So she disengages him from my pelvis and she legit, she manhandled him and turned him around. She woman handled him and she was good at it because she turns him around y'all. And I'm not joking. He comes down the birth canal and he's on my freaking perineum, which is a way to say he was crowning. I went from pushing from an hour in every possible position, feeling so frustrated with myself that I had forgotten how to push and what was going on and so scared to 
him being at my perineum with me doing nothing. I did nothing. I didn't push to get him there. He was turned into the right position and then came out. So I had to like kind of slowly push him past that ring of fire, um, past my perineum. And I did tear a little bit and then he came out and he was 10 pounds, 14 ounces. So I, w I felt a little redeemed because I thought, yes, I knew he was bigger and I'm so, so glad that I advocated to be delivered at 39 weeks. And it may seem unusual to you that an OBGYN has to advocate that hard, but I did. I had to get on the phone with like the head person and say, listen, I, you know, this is what I want. And I'm an, I'm like, I know, I know the data, I know everything and I really want this. So I felt so good because if I had waited until 40 weeks, which is when they were trying to, they were trying to talk me into to an induction at 40 weeks. If I had waited until then, I'm telling y'all that baby, he would have been 11 plus pounds. And I don't know if I would have been able to give birth uh, vaginally. Okay, I did something. I created a class, but it's not for everyone. If you are having an easy breezy pregnancy and had never gone down a Google rabbit hole, congratulations, girl, but this class isn't for you. I created a class with three specific people in mind. If you can relate to any of these three statements, this class is for you. Number one, I tend toward the anxious side. Pregnancy has made me more anxious and worried. Two, I am 35 plus years old. I want to optimize my health and wellness either before or during my pregnancy. Number three, I'm a first time mom. I want to make sure I'm doing everything right for my baby. So if one or more of these statements applies to you, listen very carefully. Go to drsterlingclass.com and register for my free class, Three Habits to Start and Two to Stop for an Empowered and Healthy Pregnancy. It's happening July 12th, and I have no plans to offer this class again, so I don't want you to miss it. That's drsterlingclass.com, and if you show up live, you'll get my pregnancy sleep guide filled with tips and all the products that help me sleep in pregnancy. And you'll have a chance to win a Nanit baby monitor worth over $300. I hope to see you there, drsterlingclass.com. And if you're listening to this after July 12th, no worries. Still go to drsterlingclass.com and we'll make sure to have another class you can register for or an on-demand class you'll love. So Kayla asked a question in the question box, wondering if the pushing was a challenge because of the induction. I'm curious um, about your choice as in, uh, to birth with a midwife. Okay. Um, I don't know. I don't think that the, his position, um, him being sunny side up, I don't think that had anything to do with the induction. Um, he actually, I don't think he was sunny side up at the beginning. Um, he was this, this kiddo um, was flipping back and forth and um, his position changing it um, during the, the labor. So, so no, I think that it was just how the cookie crumbled that time. And that's sometimes what happens with labor. So the big lesson here for me, and the thing that I really want you, um, to, to hear is there are two people involved in this birth process. And I was being so hard on myself thinking that being so, I was so frustrated with myself for forgetting how to push. 
And what was very obvious was it was, I was pushing just fine, y'all. I was doing just fine. He was in a position that wasn't allowing my pushing efforts, my contractions to really do much of anything. So when he was put into the proper position, when he was put into a position that allowed him to come down my birth canal, I didn't even have to push. So it wasn't on me. Okay. And that is the bit that is, you know, I have a few other lessons that I want to share with y'all, but that is what I want you to hear that if you pushed for five hours and you feel like you failed, I just want you to know, no, you did not. No, you did not. Okay. If, if that OBGYN hadn't been on call because not everybody can do a manual rotation like this woman did. Dr. Russell Royce, I think Royce Russell, uh, no, it's not Royce. Royce Rawls. Oh, anyway, <laughs> that's her, her name, something like that. I, I always, I always forget it. But if she wasn't on and she's particularly good at manual rotations, I don't know if I could have done that. I, I probably wouldn't have been able to give birth vaginally. And I would have probably thought, gosh, you know, obviously big baby and that's a factor, but also maybe my epidural was too heavy and I forgot how to push. And because I had the experience of of him being rotated and then giving birth so easily, I knew that um, it wasn't it wasn't really me. Okay, so let's talk about some of the big kind of takeaways, the things that I really want you, the must for preparing for birth. Okay, number one is what we've already talked about. Understand that you are not the only person in this birth process. You have at least one other person, if not more than that. And their cooperation with you is necessary. And I knew that intellectually before. I had that knowledge, but now I have that knowing. Now I know it, it from experience and in my bones that this is a collaborative effort between you and your baby. And sometimes they, they co I use the term cooperate. I obviously don't think they're consciously deciding to do so or not to do so, but they have to cooperate to some degree too. Um, so that's number one. Number two is, and this is something that I've, that's been important in all of my births is please going into your birth, understand what it is that you really want. What is, you know, oftentimes we have these birth preferences, which I'm, you know, I'm not against having birth preferences or a birth plan, but what I think is more important than things on a list is understanding the why beneath them. Okay. Understanding, okay, I want, let's say you want to give birth, um, you, you want a VBAC. Okay. Let's say that that's what you want. Um, you've had a prior C-section and this time you want a VBAC. And when we, you know, and I've done this, I actually just did this with a member of Sterling Parents. What I wanted to get from her is I wanted to understand her why. Why do you want a VBAC? And so when we had, we had a conversation about this, that her desire for a VBAC and what it came down to was I felt so out of control with my emergency C-section and I don't want that to happen again. And so I said, that is great. I think that we, sh you know, I think you trying for a VBAC is still, you know, I don't want to change that, but I want you to hold on to your desire for um, some control over your body, your desire for to be present in the experience. And let's center that as the most important outcome for your birth. And let's let, let the mode of birth be important, but secondary. Let's elevate the reason, the why behind your desires, okay? So 
that under having that conversation, understanding the why and understanding the the data and all of that, I know that that can be complex because you want to make an evidence-based decision for your birth and you want to, to make a decision, um, you know, you want to make a decision that's in alignment with your, what you want and with the realities. And that's not always easy to do. So I just encourage you to have that kind of collaborative conversation with your provider or with someone like if you're a member of Sterling Parents, you have that conversation with me and we can talk through what it is you want and just kind of frame you going into a, your birth in a way that even if the outcomes aren't necessarily what you want, we can still meet those those deep desires, those deep wants. We can still try to meet those. You know, it's not always not always perfect to do it you know, to have everything, but we can try to meet those, okay? So that is the, the the second thing that I want you to have as you prepare for your birth. Number one is to know that you are not the only one in this birth process, and so you have to take some of the weight off of yourself a little bit. Number two is to understand what you really want. And number three, and this is really important, is to get some education about birth. And this is even if you're planning on an epidural, you, you know, if especially if this is your first time or if you have had a negative experience in the past, let's get some education about about birth. And one of the most important things about childbirth education, and this is something that um, you know, I don't see I I see missing in a lot of childbirth education is education about what it looks like when complications occur. What happens when baby heart, baby's heart rate drops? What does it look like to, what is an emergency C-section? What does that look like? What does that feel like? What can you expect? I will tell you, I have a class um, inside this sterlingparents.com membership about emergencies, about what happens when you're whisked away. And I, uh, we do, we have meditations that help people um, visualize what that experience would look like. And I have had so many members come back to me after giving birth and say, you know, my birth was not what I wanted. It, it was difficult. I had an emergency C-section. But that class on the emergencies and vi having visualized what an emergency C-section might look like offered me so much peace and reassurance in that moment. Because when they were in that scary moment, they said, I've been here. I know this. I'm okay. And that I just like, when I get those messages, that's when I, that, that is just, that's the best, that's the best thing ever to know that even in the worst case scenario, if you are prepared for what it might look like, that I can bring you some peace in that, that worst case scenario. And that's, that's one of the main my main purposes inside the Sterling Parents membership is to have these conversations with members, to talk about their birth desires, to help them come up with a birth plan or birth preferences, however you wanna think about it, in a way that really honors them. And if they've had a negative birth experience before, okay, let's talk about how we can make it different this next time. Let's talk about the conversations, how to approach the conversations with your provider, how to take the evidence you know, the evidence-based information about best practices with birth, how to take that and apply that to you. 
and how to navigate those challenging situations in your birth. That is, you know, one of the things that drove me crazy when I was an OB provider is that I was seeing patients in the office, but we didn't do any of our own childbirth education. I mean, we just didn't have time to. The visits were 10 minutes. Um, maybe you could have one visit that kind of focused more on birth, but that's, I mean, childbirth education needs to take place over hours, okay? It's not something that you can do in 10 minutes. And it felt like a real, to me, me personally, to me, it felt like an abdication of my responsibility to that person sitting across from me, because I know that that is, it's really scary. It's really important. And so I wanted to provide that to people, but I couldn't. We always, we outsource our childbirth education, which is fine. I mean, thank goodness for childbirth educators. Thank goodness for, for doulas and people who do that. But I also felt like I have something really, I have a unique perspective to share with patients because I, I cover, I know so much about birth, both personally and professionally. I've dealt with the beautiful, you know, physiologic, lovely births because I, I trained with midwives in my training. And I've also dealt with obviously the worst case scenarios where people end up in the, the intensive care unit. I've seen the full spectrum and I, I feel like I had something really important to offer my patients, but I wasn't able to do so because of our time limits. And that's one of the many reasons why I am here with you, why I got out of practicing inside of the healthcare system and I went online onto Instagram and created a membership for, for pregnancy because I want to take my knowledge, both personal and professional, and bring that to you so that you can benefit from all of that expertise and all of that, that knowledge. And more importantly, that, that I, we can have a conversation about your birth. I want to have a conversation with you about your birth and help you prepare, not just watch a video, but I want to have a conversation with you about it. And that's one of the beautiful things about Sterling Parents is yes, there's the evidence-based knowledge. Yes, there are videos to prepare you for childbirth, but there's so much access to me, both face-to-face -face over our Zooms, the direct messages, Carol Ann was on earlier, I don't know if she's still on, but she sent me a message after her birth and, and we had a conversation and I shared my birth story with her so that, you know, she was, she could have, a, a, you know, she could have some context, some understanding. I don't want to share too much about her experience, obviously, because that's, that's her, her private information. But, but yeah, that's just to say, I think that it's important. I think that it's important to have education, but also to be able to have these conversations about, about your birth and, and plan for it. And um, that is what I, that's one of my favorite things to do with our members is to chat about how we can ensure that you have the best birth experience possible. And if you've had a negative birth experience before, let's make this a healing birth experience. I know the power of a healing birth experience because I had one. My second birth was my healing birth experience and it has forever changed me. It was one of the most beautiful moments of my life. So I would love to talk to you about your birth. I would love to help you prepare for your birth, take all of my lessons and share them with you. If you would like to become a member of Sterling Parents, just go to sterlingparents.com and you can sign up anytime. If you have any questions about Sterling Parents, feel free to send me a direct message. 
And you just go to sterlingparents.com, you can learn more about it there. And I'm going to scroll through and answer some questions. The first question that I remember was, why did I go with midwives? So first and foremost, I've had midwives with all of mine. Um, I am a Kaiser patient, so with my second two, I'm pretty low risk. And so I was kind of automatically assigned to midwives just because I was low risk and I have no problem with it. So I went with it. My first pregnancy, I had, um, I chose to go to midwives. I really, what was really important to me was to have midwives for my prenatal care. And just because I am an OBGYN and I have the knowledge base of an OBGYN, but midwives have different experiences. They have a different knowledge base. And so I wanted that collaborative relationship with a midwife. And um, so that's why I went to midwives. And also I, I trained with midwives. I feel really comfortable with them and I, I love midwives. So uh, there's, you know, a, a number of reasons. It's not that I think that midwives are inherently always better than OBGYNs. I know people always ask me that, but it's not that I'm against OBGYNs. I'm not. I'm an OBGYN. All my friends are OBGYNs. So, um, okay, let's see. I'm going to look for some more questions. At the end, can you tell us what should have happened instead of pushing than trying to turn him? Nothing should have happened. That was the, that was the way the cookie crumbled. There was nothing else. Um, it would have been nice, like, if we had turned him from the get-go, but um, probably wouldn't want to do that because the procedure has some risks. Not, you know, the procedure has some risks. So you want to try to push without having to turn him, um, having to turn him first. So I don't think anything differently should have happened. Um, what are the risks of manual rotations? Okay, so the risk of manual rotation is one, failure. Two, um, actually, you know, hurting baby, okay, because you're, you're trying to, to rotate them. Um, that's the, the main risk. The um, other risk is, you know, you could potentially cause a placental abruption. I've never seen that happen. That would be that would be really unusual. Um, baby could have a fetal heart rate deceleration during or after the manual rotation, and um, th their heart rate could go down, maybe just the, the, the position they were in was allowing really great blood flow, really great oxygen delivery, and then you try to change their position and you mess with that, and then you could potentially need an emergency C-section. Those are the main ones. Not not a huge, um, yeah. Regina said, I said this in postpartum support last night. Love you. Love you too, Gina. Gina's also another member of Sterling Parents. Um, just had an OP baby and pushed for 10 minutes, but he was small, six pounds, two ounces. Wonder if that made a difference. For sure. Definitely. Smaller babies tend to be easier to push out. Was Is there a reason why some women get induced and they don't dilate? Uh, the contractions aren't strong enough. The, the pelvis and baby, their size is not measuring up or the position of baby isn't measuring up. Um, those are the, the, you know, the, the contractions, the pelvis and the passenger, which is baby. Those are the three main, the three main reasons. All right, y'all. Well, I would love um, to talk to you further about your birth, to help support you in your pregnancy. Pregnancy can be really difficult. And even if it's not difficult, it's just, it's overwhelming. And there's a lot of choices to make. And sometimes it can feel like there's a lot of pressure all on you to make the choices on your own. And that's why I love Sterling Parents. That's why Sterling Parents is um, so, so crucial. Because Sometimes you just need someone to talk to. You need the evidence-based information we provide. You need the education we provide. But talking to me and also the members of our community, which I haven't even touched on, but such a supportive community of people who, you know, we're in office hours and 
somebody has a question about gestational diabetes and is feeling really like upset about what's going on with their gestational diabetes. And there's another member there who says, girl, I, I went through the same thing and offers reassurance. So it's not just me, it's the whole community, you know? So I would love to, to you know, help support you. Head over to sterlingparents.com and learn more about our incredible community and our membership. And yeah, thanks so much for listening to my birth story. I hope you learned something and I will see you next week. Uh, Tuesdays at 3 p.m. are my lives. I'm gonna go over to my stories right now and I'm gonna post a question box and you can enter any ideas you have for lives and I'm going to select a few and I'll let y'all vote on them but every week I'm going to be doing a different live and I'm really excited to connect with y'all and share more evidence-based information, more education for your reproductive journey. All right, y'all have a beautiful day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Becoming Moms. If you were looking for more support from me during your pregnancy journey, head over to sterlingparents.com to learn more about our membership. The Sterling Parents membership now comes with a private Instagram account where members can send me direct messages 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Pregnancy is hard. You deserve support. Head over to sterlingparents.com to get the best support available for your pregnancy.